Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Today we're reading through Romans chapter 5 uh, from verse 12 through to verse 21. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if many died by the trespass of one man, How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the obedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You may have seen on TV the ads for the super industry fund, the industry super funds, which you just saw there. And I don't watch much TV, but I feel like I've seen them a million times. So I'm sure most of the, us have seen them. And what they do in the ad campaign is they really compare two super, separate superannuation funds to work out which one gives the better uh, return on investment. And so you saw the screen sort of scrolling over, and you've got two people at the same age, same income, same starting balance. But over years, it scrolls over, and at the end, you see clearly which one gives a better return on investment. And the, all the ads kind of end in exactly the same way. They have some sort of smug-looking person making the logo of their thing and saying something condescending like, it's not too late, so, which kind of puts me off their product. Anyway, that's what they do. But what they're doing is they're comparing the pair. They are weighing up which one is better. And I think the point they are making is this, that unless you do your research, you can end up grabbing hold of something that is inferior but may look superior right now, but in the end it costs you dearly And you miss it on something that may not be as appealing immediately, but over time is so much greater. And I think we can make exactly the same mistake with our lives. Today, as we continue our series through the letter of Romans, we get to the second half of Romans chapter 5, and we come across an ancient version of compare the pair. And in this passage, Paul is comparing two atoms. And thankfully at our church, we have two atoms. And so today I'm going to invite them up. I'm going to invite them up. We're going to compare the pair. So I'm going to invite up Adam Dearness and Adam Milne to the platform. They're going to tell us a little bit about what they would offer if we chose to follow them. So come on up. 
So we've got Adam Milne and we've got Adam Dearness up here on the platform. And uh, very, very good looking men, as you can see, both very strapping. I'll give you this, Adam. And what has happened is this week, I've given them a series of statements that they're going to read out one at a time. And as they read out these statements, I want you to consider which one you'd rather follow. And then at the end, I'm going to get you to give us a show of hands about which one you think sounds more appealing to follow. And so uh, we're going to start with Adam Milne, a very loud, clear voice, and then they're going to go one after another. So go for it. If you follow me, I promise you a good time. If you follow me, I can't promise you that life will be easy. If you follow me, you get to support the Hawthorne Football Club, and I can promise you that we will win a premiership every second year of your life. You probably know what's coming next. If you follow me, you get to follow the St Kilda Football Club, and I guarantee that you'll be continually frustrated, and I can promise you that you'll never win a premiership in your lifetime. To follow me will be a lot of fun. If you follow me, it's likely to be a bumpy road. If you follow me, I will give you everything you could ever want. If you follow me, you will have to deny yourself every day. If you follow me, nothing is off limits and you can do whatever you want now. If you follow me, you need to obey my commandments. If you follow me, you will find yourself. If you follow me, you will lose yourself. If you follow me, you can rightly be the most important person in the world. If you follow me, you'll need to put me and others above yourself. Follow me and I'll satisfy your desires. Follow me and my desires will become more important than yours. All right, so we've got to compare the pair, real life compare the pair going on. And in our logical minds, which one sounds more appealing? Which Adam sounds more attractive? Now, don't get all spiritual on me today. Uh, which one? We're going to get a show of hands of which one you think sounds more appealing to follow. So if you think this Adam over here, the first Adam is more appealing to follow, lift up your hands. Awesome, very good. If you think this Adam is more appealing to follow, lift up your hands. See that hand? Awesome, awesome. Okay, great. So we've got a bunch of really spiritual people and we've got some honest people. So that's really good. My dad was one of the uh, spiritual ones, so it just gives us someone we can pray for after the service. But I think in, in our you know, natural lives, in our uh, desires, our sinful desires particularly, it sounds more enjoyable uh, because we want to be in charge of our lives. So it sounds more enjoyable to follow this first Adam. We often gravitate to the path of least resistance and we want to be in charge. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And so this Adam sounds a lot more appealing. We look at what he's offered and we go tick, 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 tick. And we look at what this second Adam's offered and we go, yeah, that sounds a little bit more difficult. So we're going to go with this guy. So I've asked them to do two more statements, one each, and hopefully these last statements will help you better decide because it's not always as it appears. And so let's have these last two statements and see what we think. If you follow me, I will steal, kill and destroy your life. Follow me and I will lead you astray. I will lie to you, condemn you and death will lead you to destiny. Follow me and when you lose your life, you will find true life and in me, you will experience life and life to the full. If you follow me, you will not die, but you will have eternal life. Now those two statements kind of change everything, don't they? What seemed so obvious a moment ago now seems obvious the other way. And so sometimes we need to get all the information before we go and make a choice. And so let's give a big thanks to Adam and Adam. Compare the pair. Thank you, mate. They're a bit nervous. Well, Adam Milne was a bit nervous to do that, so I really appreciate him being brave and getting up here. In the passage today, Romans chapter 5, we have the comparison of two Adams. Now, this is not an easy passage. In fact, Leon Morris, who was a brilliant theologian, 
says that Paul enters into a detailed and difficult comparison of Adam and Christ. And so if it's difficult for Leo Morris, there's a good chance it's going to be difficult for us as well. Nigren, in his commentary, says this is the point where all the lines of Paul's thinking converge, both those of the preceding chapters and those of the chapters that follow. And so what we have in today's passage is a highly complex comparison. And so we really need to concentrate today as we dig into this comparison to really understand what Paul is trying to teach. Our Roman series, if you haven't been here for the rest of it, is called The Big Stuff. And it's called The Big Stuff because Romans kind of covers all the big stuff in our faith. And so as we dig into it today, these big things are really important for us to grasp and to understand. In Romans and in other parts of Scripture, the Bible talks about two atoms. Uh, that weren't atoms up here, they're two different atoms. And the first one it talks about is Adam, the human being, the first human being who was created. And he was placed in the Garden of Eden. Now the first Adam was given a mission, and his mission was that he was created in the image of God, and he was given the responsibility and the mission to represent God on earth. And so God provided for him everything he would need to do that. There was peace and prosperity, there was joy and life, there was intimacy with one another, and there was intimacy with God. And so he lived in that garden in what could only be described as paradise, something beyond anything we've ever experienced in our lives. However, despite being graciously given everything by God, a loving God, he and his wife Eve were fooled by the serpent, who is the devil, read about this in Genesis, that somehow God wasn't as good as he appeared and was actually withholding even greater things that they could experience. And so Adam and Eve decided that they would rebel against God and do the one thing he commanded them not to do. He said, you can do everything you like. You've got complete freedom in the garden. There's just one thing that I don't want you to do, and that's to eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, like any kid, you know, they can have everything. You can give them everything in life, but what do they want? They want the one thing they can't have, right? They want to touch the one thing that they're not meant to have. Adam and Eve were exactly the same. And so they decided to rebel against God and do the one thing he asked them not to do. Now all this happened because the devil came in and convinced them that by doing their own thing, they could be like God themselves. And so here they were, living under the reign and rule of a loving God who had given them so many beautiful things. They were literally in paradise, but they still weren't satisfied because they wanted to be their own gods. They were convinced that God was not enough. Now, something about humanity, another thing that we've never experienced, is that humanity were originally created to live forever. Death was not part of God's original design. But the moment that Adam and Eve decided to rebel against God, sin entered into his very good creation, and death followed sin because death is the consequence of sin. And so we see in today's passage that Paul unpacks it in a number of different ways, and he shows us the diabolical consequences of the first Adam's decision to rebel against God. And so if you pick it up at verse 12, the first verse we read today, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And so in verse 12, we have sin entering God's creation, death entering the world as a consequence of sin, which becomes the penalty that all of us pay because we all sin. He continues in verse 13 and 14. He tells us from the time of Adam in the garden to Moses at Mount Sinai when the, new, uh, when the Ten Commandments were given. The law was given to Moses at Sinai. And the law kind of outlined what sin was. 
And so it held people accountable. But Paul teaches in this passage that even in the period before the law was given, from Adam to Moses, death still reigned. And the reason for that in that period is because the natural result of sin is death because sin separates us from a holy God who is actually the giver of life. And so by our sins, we actually cut ourselves off from the life source. And so verse 13 and 14 outline that. Verse 15 says that many died by the trespass of this one man. In other words, his decision to rebel against God has had far-reaching implications and disastrous consequences for all humanity. In verse 17, it says death reigned through this one man. And in verse 18, it says one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. Many were made sinners through the disobedience of one man. We all have what theologians call inherent sin that we have taken from Adam. In other words, we are born with a sinful nature. We don't naturally gravitate to things that are good. We naturally gravitate away from things that are good and gravitate towards sin. If you don't believe this is true, you've obviously never had a child. Because you will know that if you've had a child, you never had to teach that child to say no. You never had to teach that child to be selfish. You never had to sit them down one day and say, now today I'm going to teach you how to have a tantrum. Now pick up your bowl in the high chair, thump it around, throw it all over the ground and start screaming. You never had to teach your kid that, right? Did anyone teach their kid to have a tantrum? No one did. We don't have to teach our kid to do that. But you will have to teach your kid to say yes. You will have to teach your kid to have manners. You will have to teach your kid to do the right things and to be a good person. Why? Because we have inherent sin. But we also contribute to that through our own personal sin. And so we all sin, and our sin is a result of the tendencies we inherit. I read a story a couple of weeks ago about a young couple in America called Jay Austin and Lauren Gohagen. And last year, they quit their jobs in Washington, D.C., young professionals, high incomes, and they decided one day they were going to quit their jobs and ride their bike right around the whole world, every country, even the dangerous ones. Uh, Jay Austin said that he was sick of working all day. Does anyone relate to that? He's sick of working all day, and he felt he was missing too many sunrises, too many sunsets, too many beautiful thunderstorms, and he wanted to go out and explore nature. And so they both quit their jobs, him and his wife. And they went off on this adventure around the world. And they documented their journey on Instagram. And they wanted to show, the purpose of this trip was to show everyone that it's not a big, scary world like it's been painted to be. It's not as big and as scary and as nasty as what people say. And what they wanted to prove is that people are inherently good. Austin said these words. People, the narrative goes, are not to be trusted. People are bad. People are evil. He said, I don't buy it. Evil is a make-believe concept to deal with the complexities of fellow humans holding values and beliefs different than our own. By and large, humans are kind, generous and wonderful and kind. And so to prove this, they decide to ride their their bike all around the world, even through territories where people like ISIS are ruling. And they want to show that even those people that seem bad are actually good when you get to know them and have a cup of tea. And so they took off on this adventure. 
And it was going well, and they documented it all on Instagram. You can still look up their names, and you can see all their photos and some of the wonderful people they met. But it took a tragic turn when they arrived in Tajikistan, Tajikistan, which is on the border of Afghanistan. And they were riding their bikes along on this scenic journey when all of a sudden a car sped up behind them and rammed them. Five men jumped out of the car and on the side of the road stabbed the two to death. A tragic situation, a tragic end to life. Two days later, ISIS released a video claiming responsibility. And I can only imagine the horror of their last moments as they looked in the eyes of their bloodthirsty killers and saw the horrific discovery and truth that evil absolutely exists. Now, we're not all ISIS terrorists, or at least I hope we're not. But we are all inherently sinful, and we all contribute to the problem of humanity in our own way and through our own sinful behaviour. Verse 20 says that sin reigned through death. And I think what Paul does in this passage is he gives us a snapshot of the first Adam and from a guy who was given so much The fruit of his life is tragic for the human race. Adam was given everything and he blew the lot by seeking himself rather than worshipping God. Now, if he was the only Adam in Scripture, we would be in a pretty bleak situation. We would have no hope for this life and we certainly have no eternal life. We would be lost in our sins. We would be separated from a holy God forever. But thankfully, Scripture, by the grace of God, reveals and introduces us to a second Adam. He's sometimes referred to as the last Adam. And the last Adam is the person of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus was God in human form. And like the first Adam, he also had the task of representing God the Father here on earth. Unlike the first Adam, he didn't find himself in paradise. In fact, he left paradise. He left the glory of heaven. And he entered the mess we've made of his creation. And he gave it all up to rescue the very same people who messed up the paradise of earth in the first place. Philippians tells us that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature Of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the second Adam, is the remedy to the first Adam. Adam's sin had far reaching consequences, but Jesus' sacrifice at Calvary had far more powerful results. And so, if we pick it up at verse 15 of today's passage, Romans chapter 5. We'll read through to verse 19. It says, But the gift of God is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, 
so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. This is wonderfully good news. This is what we looked at last week, that Jesus, the second Adam, came from heaven to earth to destroy the works of the enemy, to reverse the curse of the first Adam, and on the cross he took the penalty that you and I deserve for the mess we've made. And when we accept his sacrifice at the cross... Our sin is placed on him and our penalty is paid in full. And in return, he gives us his righteousness so that before God, when we stand before him, each of us in Christ are deemed as innocent. The last two verses, verse 20 and 21 of today, said the law was brought in so that trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also Grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so while the wickedness of the world has increased, the grace of God has increased even more so that his mercy triumphs over his judgment and we access his mercy by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. This is wonderfully good news. This is grace. It's undeserved love expressed from God to us. And we hear this every single week at follow We talk about the gospel every week, and it can become a little bit ho-hum. But I want to encourage you today. I want to challenge you today. Never take this message for granted. This is life-changing. This is the good news of the gospel. This should bring us joy in our heart every single day, no matter what circumstances we're going through. This is the great hope of humanity, that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Not only that, he rose from the dead and he conquered the power of death so that the death penalty that came with sin is also reversed in Christ. This is the great hope of humanity. In fact, this is the only hope of humanity and Jesus is the only hope we have. He's the only one that can bring this hope into our lives. And so the burning question from this passage this morning is simply this, which Adam will we follow? That's the name of the message today, the title of the message. Which Adam will you follow with your life? And so this morning we've had this compare the pair. As we look at the first Adam, we see the decisions that he made and we see the diabolical consequences of Adam's decisions. And so we can look at his life and he had everything and he blew the lot. And so when we consider who he was and how he lived, we could easily dismiss him and conclude, no, no, he's not the kind of guy that we want to follow. We don't want to have the consequences of his life and his choices. We want to do things differently to the first Adam. And so we consider the last Adam, Jesus. And we look at his life and we see the Gospels. We see he was a man of holiness, a man who lived a perfect life. He was compassionate and kind. He lived a life of great wisdom. His love for you and me was so great that he laid his life down for us. He wasn't selfish. He was selfless. And through the work of the cross and through the power of the resurrection, he has given us hope not only for this life but for all eternity. And so we consider the two Adams today and we look at them and we hear about their lives and we go, well, really, it's a no-brainer. I don't want to follow Adam. I want to follow Jesus. That's the only conclusion we can come to from Romans chapter 5. But let me tell you this morning, he's the greatest achievement of the devil. He's the father of lies. He's the great deceiver. And even though this passage reveals which Adam we should follow, 
and it seems so obvious to us today, the devil has convinced the majority of the world so that they see it the exact opposite. They don't want to follow Jesus. They want to follow the way of Adam. And I think the uncomfortable truth here today is that we often want to as well. And so there's two Adams. And the two Adams represent two directions we can take. Jesus called them the broad road and the narrow path. In Matthew 7, verse 13, Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the path that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, when Jesus talks about this, he's talking about the pathway of salvation. Those who've put their faith in Jesus, they're walking on the narrow path. They've come through the narrow gate. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty narrow gate. That's a pretty exclusive claim. And if you're a Christian, you've actually accepted Christ and you've stepped through that gate and now you're walking on the narrow path. But there's a broad road which most of the world is walking down and that's a road that says, you know what, we don't need Jesus. We don't want Jesus. We can do things our own way. And so they're walking down the broad path. And so it's talking about the pathway of salvation. But the truth is that people on the broad path can often live their lives like people on the narrow path should be living their lives. So there's some people that haven't accepted Christ, but you'll meet them and they're amazing people. They're loyal and they're kind and they're friendly and they love their neighbour and they do all sorts of amazing things and they're great people. But they're not on the narrow path. They're not in the pathway of salvation because they haven't accepted Christ. Now on the flip side, you can have people on the narrow path that sometimes engage in the activities that you'd more consistently find on the broad path. It doesn't mean they're not saved because they put their faith in Jesus, but they will reap the destruction of some of the things they engage in if they don't uh, respond to the Holy Spirit convicting them and come back to the narrow path. So let me give you a couple of practical examples. There are Christian men and sometimes women who are on the narrow path and they're trying to follow Jesus and yet they're addicted to pornography. And so during the week they're, they're addicted to this problem on the internet. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not saved anymore because I think if they're truly saved, the Holy Spirit will be convicting them and challenging them and they, with God's help, are trying to break free from that addiction and there's grace in the midst of all of that. But if they keep going down that path, they're going to reap destruction in their lives. And so people who are addicted to pornography end up in addiction, they end up with sexual dysfunction, they end up with unrealistic expectations, they end up in broken relationship, they mistreat one another, and so the destructive patterns of the things they're engaging in actually start to work their way out in their lives. Let's bring it down a little level at the moment, that's a little bit intense, but let's talk about gossip. I can guarantee you everybody who's walking on the narrow path at some time or another engages in gossip. That's the kind of activity you expect on the broad path. Now, when they engage in gossip, it doesn't mean that they've lost their salvation. They're covered by God's grace, but they will reap the destruction of participating or partaking of some of the activities of the broad path. And so people who gossip end up breaking trust. They hurt people. They end up not being popular. No one wants to spend time with them. They end up bitter and angry and cynical and sniping. And so they reap the destruction of some of the activities that you would expect to find on the broad path. On the narrow path, we would expect that the Holy Spirit every day is working in our life. And the fruit of our lives, uh, you know, the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all those things. And so that's what we would expect. But we need to acknowledge and realise as Christians that the devil has a way of making the broad road seem so attractive. Whereas Jesus doesn't hide the reality that the narrow path will be tough. 
But in Scripture, the two destinations of each way are revealed. There is destruction down the broad road that most people are on. And there is life on the narrow path that most people avoid. Only the devil can make destruction look so delicious. Let me say that again. Only the devil can make destruction look so delicious. It's like the hot jam donut stand after the footy. It's like the souvlaki stop after a late night out. You know they're not good for you, right? You know it. But they smell so good. They look so good. They even taste good, but end up in destruction. I call them love handles, right? You can tell what I do late every night. I try and find the closest souvlaki or donut. But they look so good and they're so appealing, but we know they're not good for us. For Edmund in Narnia, it was Turkish delight. For Adam and Eve, it wasn't Turkish delight. It wasn't souvlakis. It wasn't donuts. It was a forbidden fruit on a tree that represented independence from God. It looked so good, so juicy, so enticing. It promised so much pleasure and potential, but it ended up in destruction. You see, the devil, that's what he does. He tries to deceive us. For us, it's also the desires of our eyes. It's the lust of our hearts. Sometimes it's the pursuit of pleasure or looking to money or sex for ultimate satisfaction. It's the desire for fame and reputation. It's comfort and consumerism where it's all about my wants and my needs and my desires. It's the insatiable desire for more and more. It's anything that the devil uses to convince you that God is not enough. If I was to picture the broad road, I see the devil standing at the entrance point of that road as the great promoter. He's the ultimate salesman. He could sell you a rusted out Hyundai broken down at top price. And he would convince you that it's good for you. He doesn't say, come this way and I'll destroy your life. There's no horns and pitchfork. Ha, 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 come here and I'll kill you. No, no, no. There's neon signs. There's flashing lights. There's false promises. Come this way and you'll have everything you ever want. Don't go that way. Nobody's going down that narrow path. Everyone's going this way. Follow the crowd. He knows the right words to say. He knows the right levers to pull. He knows your greatest temptations. He knows your weaknesses. He's got a game plan for your life and he wants to entice you down the broad road. He'll tell you things like, God's not good anyway. You're missing out. He doesn't answer your prayers. He doesn't care. The narrow path is too hard. Come this way and it will be easy. He uses all sorts of lies, schemes, plots and deceptions to get you down that road. It's the constant struggle we have between the spirit and the flesh. He'll make destruction look delicious. But don't forget his mission statement. It's to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't forget the destination of the broad road. It ends up in destruction. And don't forget this morning that greater is he who lives in us than he who's in the world. Don't forget this morning that Jesus, on the other hand, he stands at the narrow gate. And he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Remember his mission statement as well, that I've come to give you life and life to the full, life in all of its abundance. 
but to come through this small gate, to walk down this narrow path, you'll need to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me daily. The narrow path won't always be easy. In fact, it rarely will be. But I promise I will be with you always. And the end destination is eternal life. Let me tell you, when we stand before Jesus one day, it'll all be worth it, won't it? We look back at this life, every sacrifice we had to make, everything we gave up on, to stand in the presence of Jesus at the end of that narrow path and hear him say the words, well done, good and faithful servant, let me tell you, it will all be worth it. And so let me encourage you today, don't get caught up on the temporary things of life, lift your eyes and remind yourself of eternity every day. And it will keep you going, it will keep you persevering, looking ahead with the power of the Holy Spirit with great joy about what Jesus has promised. And so here's the decision. Here's the fork in the road that every human being will face and the decision that all eternity hangs on. And so this morning we compare the pair. Jesus' symbol is not this. Jesus' symbol is this. I'll ask you again this morning, which Adam will you follow? When we listen to the world and follow the enemy, we'll see it one way. But when we stand on God's word and look to Jesus, we'll see it the exact opposite. This is the great challenge for the church in a post-everything, increasingly cynical world. Will we go with the flow of our culture? Or will we have the courage to be counterculture, standing on God's truth and walking in God's way, following Jesus down the narrow path that leads to life? Which Adam will we follow? Let me conclude by reading to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. It says, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we've borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Will you follow the first Adam or the last Adam? The Adam from Eden whose road leads to destruction or the Jesus from heaven whose path leads to life? My prayer this morning for you, you can probably guess what it is. My prayer is that you look to Jesus, that Jesus would be the ultimate beauty of your life, that he would be our first love, the height of our affections, the number one priority and pursuit of our lives. This morning, don't allow the deception of an enemy to draw you down the broad road to destruction, but instead allow the beauty and life of Christ to draw you into what he promises, life and life to the full. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.